0: Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and glad to have you along for the ride today as we are getting ready to... This is a big week here, of course, in the United States. It's a big week, of course, because uh, Father's Day is coming up. It's a big week in the Marsh household because my dad's getting ready to hit a monumental birthday this Sunday, which is also Father's Day. It's also Oz Fox from Striper's birthday Uh, Steve Arterburn's birthday (laughs) all these guys born on June 18th and they're all dads and so they're going to be celebrating Father's Day and so if you as a dad are listening to the program today uh, from one dad to another happy Father's Day week Um, a reminder that we have a special opportunity for everyone who listens to the Bottom Line Show this week until the money runs out basically Uh, last Monday here on the Bottom Line Show you heard Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services and I uh, we were having our monthly visit and we were talking about the, uh, uh, the, the opportunity that we have with preborn to really make a difference, and especially with Father's Day coming up. I mean, if you have uh, been blessed to be a dad, uh, whether through biological birth or through adoption, foster care, uh, maybe you've added to your quiver, uh, the arrows in your quiver, as the scripture tells us, uh, through the uh, wonderful uh, world of remarriage, as I have. My family literally doubled. I became a father of six the day I married Lisa and uh, after having been a father of three for many, many years. But the thing with pre-born that is so compelling uh, that I can't stress enough is the fact that it's amazing the impact this ministry has on dads. The number of women who come to pre-born clinics and have the ultrasound uh, technology used to help them see the baby for the first time and kind of help the, uh, the OBGYNs figure out where they are in the gestational process, and then uh, you get you kind of confirm. are you eight weeks long, 10 weeks long, whatever it is. But to see the baby's face in the 4D imaging, that is, it's just so dramatic. It's so powerful. And then to hear the heartbeat for the first time, the reason why I'm so motivated about this week, and as we are uh, trying to match the $7,500 matching gift that Dennis Wilson has put forth from Wilson Financial Advisors, is I remember my son-in-law, Brian, when he and my daughter, Emily, first learned they were pregnant. And what they wound up doing was, um, well, it's really, it was kind of sweet. They had a nice little presentation for me, got a little Angels jersey. um, And uh, the the caption on the back of the shirt says, Grandpa's biggest fan since 2017. uh, Because that's when Isaac was born. But what's really interesting about it for me um, is that uh, here here is my son-in-law who was kind of a, we like to call him our bald hippie in the family. Brian, he has two older brothers who have tons of hair. For whatever reason, Brian's hair has been thinning for quite some time. So he had hair on his wedding day, but here we are nine years later and their anniversary is coming up next week. Um, And didn't have a lot of hair, but uh, Brian's kind of a hippie really got into the vegan environmental thing for quite a while. Actually has a degree in environmental studies and works in that industry. But, um, it's amazing how his view on the sanctity of human life mirrored that of so many other people. And that is not that they were militant pro-abortion or pro-life, but rather it was kind of a live and let live for them. You know, the idea that they'd say, look, you know, it's your body, it's your choice, so do whatever you're going to do. I believe you should let the babies live, but if you want to be pro-abortion, you know, that's between you and God. And it was really kind of that way. I mean, he wasn't, uh, you know, irresponsible. He just thought, you know, I'm not gonna tell a woman what to do with her body. And then came that fateful day that he and Emily went to the OBGYN and they had the first ultrasound done to see how far along she was. And I'm old enough to remember that they only used to do ultrasound sonogram technology if there was a question, if there was a concern. Put this in perspective, when Emily was in the womb, there was no ultrasound, this is back in 1987. She was born January 3rd, 1988. But when she was in the womb, the only t- we had an ultrasound ordered by our OBGYN because he found out that Emily's mom was the uh, daughter of a twin. And uh, his, uh, her grandma had, uh, uh, on her mom's side, had a twin brother when she was younger. And he unfortunately died at a very young age. But uh, since there was twins skipping a generation in the family... And her mom was putting on a lot of weight, kind of big for her relatively small size. They were concerned that we might have twins in there and not know it. So they did an ultrasound and confirmed do it was just them taking up a lot of space. And the smallest of my three biological children was the largest baby in the womb. Go figure. Anyway, so they're looking at the ultrasound. And as they're looking at this and they're seeing the baby's face and they're listening to the heartbeat, Brian just bursts into tears. And he was telling me the story. He said, you know, Dad, I used to be really kind of just okay with if you want to have an abortion, get one, but I don't think you should. But the minute I heard Isaac's heartbeat, the first thing I thought was, and these are his exact words, why would anyone want to stop that? Why would anyone want to stop that heart from beating? And I ask myself the same question because it's a rhetorical question, but there's a very powerful response. And that's the kind of question that we can be asking as people who are in the pro-life community. Not, you know, do you hate women? And uh, you know, do, 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 it's her body, why do you want the government telling her what to do? It's not about that at all. When you get right down to it, it's about a man and a woman coming together and conceiving a child. And then once the child is conceived, the parents deciding whether or not they want to be pregnant. Now, you and I would say that that decision should be made before you enter into the conjugal relationship. And if you are of the uh, faith tradition or belief system that says it's okay to use birth control, um, you know, that's between you and God as well. I know many people, especially in our uh, Catholic listening audience, would say, absolutely not. I mean, that's the same as abortion. And, you know, there's a very compelling point, I think, for doing so. At the same time, though, you have to ask the question, well, if a person is a person when their heart is beating, if you got involved in a car accident or something happened, God forbid, and you needed Stephanie Covers help right away and you're in the hospital, and as long as they have a pulse, you've heard that many times before, as long as there's a sinus rhythm going on, we determine that that person is alive. And then we have to ask the question about quality of life. If they were involved in an accident, are they brain dead? You know, that, that will they recover? Those types of questions need to be asked and answered. But that's one question about the heartbeat that many people on the abortion side of the aisle do not have an answer for. And the question is why would you, when you hear the heartbeat, why would you want it to stop? And it's amazing how if we can tone the rhetoric down and not be so hysterical, not, you know, bloody pictures and screaming and yelling and bullhorns and all that type of stuff and just, I believe, ask better questions under the power of the Holy Spirit as Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 15, to do so with gentleness and respect. Why is it that it's so difficult for us to have that conversation? Well, fortunately, our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to do something about this, to have more heartbeats heard in the culture, and especially with Father's Day coming up. Dads, I'm challenging you this week. I'm challenging you today, as a matter of fact. The ultrasound process takes about $28 to administer at a preborn clinic. That's by the time you uh, factor in the cost of the building and and the technicians who are working there and all the, the cost of amortizing the cost of the ultrasound machine. Uh, it's about twenty-eight dollars per visit. So basically, we tell people every twenty-eight dollar gift you make to preborn saves one life in the womb. Eighty-five percent of the time, a woman who gets an ultrasound at a preborn clinic chooses life for her baby. Either mom's going to raise the child. Along with dad or without dad, or they're going to release the child for adoption. 85% of the time, that's the choice that's made. But it takes an ultrasound machine to do the ultrasound uh, screening. And so that's why I'm so grateful that Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Advisors have put up the first half of an entire ultrasound machine. It costs about $15,000 to donate an ultrasound machine to preborn. Now there are many pro life clinics that are out there telling you it's fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars for an ultrasound machine. And I don't know where they're getting their numbers from, to be honest with you, because preborn says it's fifteen grand. And bottom line show listeners have raised enough money to not only rescue a thousand babies, but also to place six ultrasound machines in preborn clinics across the country. Well, we're placing ours in California, but you know, last year Preborn did 62 ultrasound machines that were placed in Preborn clinics all across the country. There are six in Southern California that are the, the result of you giving generously here to the Bottom Line Show. So here's the challenge today: we were not going to raise that $7,500. We are going to get another ultrasound machine for a Preborn clinic here in California by Father's Day. The question is, how quickly is it going to? are we going to take to get there 833-850-BABY is the number to call 833-850-2229 you can also give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner i think it may rotate on the kbright website if you want to just find it static just go to rogermarsh.com r-o-g-e-r-m-a-r-s-h dot and we've got the link that takes you to the same link that takes you through to the Preborn site a $100 gift right now effectively is doubled because of Dennis's matching grant. A $500 donation is doubled to 1000 A $1,000 donation, you get the, the idea. And I know there's a bottom line listener who has the capacity, has the resources, and has the desire to make a one-time $7,500 donation. You make that one-time donation and we're good. I mean, because you match that with Dennis's and that's an ultrasound machine, we may have to go for two. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Special Father's Day fundraiser here for our friends at Preborn. Let's get another ultrasound machine in a California Preborn clinic before Father's Day. 833-850-BABY. Dennis Wilson's matching gift is still in place. Let's max that thing out. We'll take a quick break and as we continue, a national Christian ministry international Christian ministry that went sideways because of the abusive behavior of the man who was leading it. Now there's a San Diego connection to what started in Illinois, and it's a really fascinating turn of events. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives.
1: The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility.
0: Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh, uh, encouraging you to call preborn today and every day this week, uh, we've got a father's day opportunity for our bottom line show family here to raise enough money to basically fund another, uh, preborn ultrasound machine. Uh, Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson financial advisors have put up a $7,500 matching gift. And of course, you know, it's $15,000 to purchase. And then, uh, place the uh, ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic. So Dennis is basically saying, I'll meet you halfway. We have to raise the other 7,500. It's completely tax deductible. And every dollar that you give to pre-born today and every day, Uh, but especially through the Bottom Line Show, is going directly to ultrasound technology. They do separate fundraising for their administrative stuff and getting the buildings, the rents paid, the lights, you know, all that stuff. I mean, they they do incur those costs. But when it comes to the fundraising here, they do separate fundraisers for all that. And there are organizations that say, sure, we'll pay your light bill for a year or whatever. And I think that's great. So 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner or go to rogermarsh.com and you'll find the Preborn banner there. A very interesting twist in a case that involves a former pastor who was a radio and television guy. I remember hearing him speak. He's from Illinois, but I remember hearing him speak um, here at the, in the Southland. I think it was at Mariner's Church several years ago. And this is another case of somebody who you'd listen to their Bible teaching and say, wow, this guy's really good. I mean, I really like his style, and he's got the kind of hip look—bald uh, hair, kind of hip glasses, big old burly guy with a goatee. His name is James McDonald. Perhaps you've heard him. Um, I've known people who've worked for his radio ministry. I mean, radio, television, whatever. Thousands of people benefited from the ministry of James McDonald. He's the founder of Harvest Bible Chapel. But it wasn't until a uh, an investigative report by, done by a woman called Julie Royce that discovered that there were all sorts of improprieties happening from Harvest Bible Chapel, and basically perpetrated by James McDonald. Now, there's a San Diego twist to this story. So, I uh, here here's basically what happened in 2019. Uh, Harvest Bible Chapel was forced to remove James McDonald as their pastor because he was accused of bullying some people who had worked for him. He was accused of being a guy who used to carry a gun rather proudly and used it in a rather malicious way. At one point, apparently, according to the Julie Royce report, there was someone on his church council. There was a husband and wife teams on church council. And he actually looked into the possibility this is crazy but to hire a hitman to basically eliminate one of his foes so the Roys report came out um, he he did you know, it's interesting he, he did something that a lot of ministry leaders I think would be wise to do in a situation where your council board uh, presbytery you know wh- whatever they whatever the organization, whatever your denomination calls it, when they bring you into account and say, hey, look, there, there needs to be some sort of, uh, uh, you know, an opportunity for reconciliation, um, then you want to see that the person who says, you know what, you're right, I blew it, and I want to make amends, is actually doing it. There was a guy by the name of, uh, ironically, it's James McDonald, a guy by the name of uh, Gordon McDonald, I believe, who um, years ago uh, had committed adultery and he was pastoring a church and he'd written some great books. He's really, I think, a deep theological thinker. And he wound up having an inappropriate relationship with, I think, his administrative assistant. And he wound up um, getting counseling. He was asked to step down from the pulpit. He and his wife did stay together and they were able to reconcile. And after a couple of years of counseling and, you know, showing true repentance and humility, he was actually restored to his ministry position. That's one of the few times I've ever seen someone in a situation like that um, actually take the, the steps to uh, repair. In the case of James McDonald in Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, I mean, it, the, the story was just really weird. And in a recent article, an interview with the Christian Post, Julie Royce was asked, okay, well, you've heard about these new charges that happened this spring, Right here in San Diego involving James McDonald, you know, are you surprised what happened? Um, here's the deal. She said, you know, I, I'm really surprised because um, here's a guy who said after he was fired, he tried to make a comeback. He said he repented of whatever sins he had committed. And uh, apparently, when he announced this said repentance, he said he had written letters to people apologizing for things he had done, um, which is interesting because Julie Royce has spoken with numerous people who were part of those who were done wrong by James McDonald, and not one of them said they'd ever received these. Uh, A guy by the name of Dave, Dave Corning, who was the chairman of the Elder Board at Harvest Bible Chapel, did that for 20 years. He said, the only thing that I can say about James McDonald is for 20 years, he basically was gaslighting me. You know, he was doing things that he was accusing me of doing. Um, and and then he would try to make things right. For example, this is a quote from uh, James Dave Corning. He said, when James McDonald was still at Harvest, uh, he came to Dave and he basically gave Dave a- a- an apology that was kind of a gaslit full apology. Dave said, listen, if you want to reconcile with me, I know about 50 people who are lined up ahead of me. You go make things right with them and then come back and talk to me. And James McDonald never did. Um, He slandered Julie Royce, called her some horrible names that I will not repeat here on the air on a blog post. You know, this is typically, this is a guy who has a million followers on social media. He's still running an online ministry. And yet, most people are saying, "Hey, wait a minute. Um, you know, there there there's got to be some kind of restoration process." And yet, um, well, I mean, some of the things we've seen and read. Um, <laughs> once Harvest ousted him, he took them to court in an arbitration. Apparently, got a two million dollar settlement. Well, here's where it gets crazy. Um, back in March of this year. Apparently, James McDonald approached a woman in broad daylight and allegedly attacked her. (laughs) Unbelievable, and and maybe you were there, maybe you know. Around 10.15 a.m. March 22nd, James McDonald was attempting to parallel park his truck in the 900 block of Orange Avenue. According to the police report, quote, he struck the vehicle parked in front of him, which was occupied by a 59-year-old woman who was later identified as uh, uh, Barbara Bass. So as the woman got out of her car to talk to the man, hey, you ran into my car, apparently he jumped out of his truck and attacked her. As he was assaulting the woman, and this is where it gets to be kind of almost cartoon-like, As he was assaulting the woman, his truck was not in park and it began to roll backwards and it crashed into the car that was parked behind him. Now, fortunately, there were a number of witnesses around who all came to the defense of the woman and as the police report says, the uh, witnesses stopped the man from leaving the area Officers arrived on the scene, they arrested the suspect, and when they searched his truck, they also found a handgun that was not registered to him. In other words, it was considered stolen. The victim was transported to the hospital. She had serious injuries, and the roadway they were on was closed for about an hour and a half due to the investigation. According to Tanya Sierra, Assistant Director of Communications of San Diego County's District Attorney's Office, uh, the case is still open. She can't discuss the facts or evidence. She said, I can say that he was arraigned on the charges March 19th, or March 29th, rather. He pled not guilty. His next court date actually is coming up this Wednesday, June 14th, and that's just for a readiness hearing to see if everybody's ready and if he can face this. Preliminary hearing is July 6th. If convicted of all charges... James McDonald faces seven years in prison. Man, that is really wild that this story extended now all the way to Coronado and has a San Diego feel for it. And I guess that's where he would serve his time if former pastor James McDonald is actually arrested. But let's talk about the issue that really kind of gets the whole ball rolling here. And that is why repentance is such an important hallmark of our Christian faith. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh encouraging your calls at 833-850-baby let's wipe out this uh, matching gift from dennis wilson all 7500 dollars worth of it and make sure that we have the opportunity to get another ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic uh, before father's day 833-850-baby is the number to call your 100 hundred dollar donation becomes 200 500 becomes a thousand you can do the math 833-850-BABY you know, it's interesting to hear this tragic tale of James McDonald, the founder of Harvest Bible Chapel in Illinois. Uh, he's got a video from jamesmcdonaldministries.org, up at the thebottomlineshow.com. And he allegedly uh, ran his truck into a woman who was he was trying to parallel park. The car parked in front of him. He hit the car. Uh, Barbara Bass, 59 years of age, was sitting in her car. I don't know if she just parked or if she was trying to get out. And when she got out of the car to talk to him and say, hey, you hit my car, he got out and assaulted her. He didn't realize his truck was still not, it was engaged, it was in neutral or drive or something. It it was not in park and it began to roll backwards. Then he hit another car behind him um, and apparently uh, the uh, the person who was injured wound up having serious injuries, was hospitalized. When officers arrived on the scene, they found a stolen handgun inside the pastor's truck, and now he's facing seven years in prison. A guy like James McDonald, high profile, wants to be the liked guy, wants to be the cool guy, and as long as someone's paying the freight, there's a tendency to think, okay, well there's money, so that must mean we're doing good ministry. And brothers and sisters, nothing could be further from the truth. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world, have all kinds of money coming in, millions of dollars in this case, but lose their soul? This should be a no-brainer in terms of treating people the way we want to be treated, reflecting the heart of Christ with other people. Apparently, James McDonald has not learned his lesson, and I encourage you to pray for him and anyone else in pastoral ministry who might get to the point where they begin to think, hey, you know what, these press releases are true. I really am that person. I really am that good. I really am that cool. It's really very simple. If we, as Christians, wrong someone, the essence of our faith in Christ is forgiveness. It's the forgiveness that God shows to us by demonstrating his love for us with Christ on the cross. His sacrifice says, if you believe that the blood of Jesus pays the penalty for your sin, your sins will be forgiven. And now you go and forgive the sins of other people who sin against you and ask for forgiveness from people against whom you sin if we're not willing to ask for forgiveness even just to say hey there's some bad beef between us right now what happened what what did i do how can i make it right even if you don't think um that you did anything wrong the hallmark of the christian life from the lowliest servant to the highest exalted personality is forgiveness and repentance. Asking for forgiveness, granting forgiveness when it's asked of us, asking God for forgiveness and being willing to forgive ourselves, but also turning away and looking differently at the situation. That is the good news of the gospel, and that's the bottom line. Hey, what would you say if we told you there's a new video series that puts the gospel on trial? Our friends at, uh, uh, well, Peter Lalonde and his company, have done just that with a brand new video series. It's a Movie Monday exclusive coming to The Bottom Line next on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues.
2: You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today.
0: Well, special guest joining us for this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line. It's always a pleasure to get some time with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, who's the executive director of the Providence Forum. He's a senior producer and also served as on-air host for Truths to Transform, the Dr. D. James Kennedy's ministry. And he has not one, but two video projects to talk about with us today here on the program. So it's great to have Dr. Jerry Newcomb back. Jerry, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
3: Thank you, Roger. Good to be with you again.
0: Let's talk about these, these kind of, they are... Film projects that kind of uh, piggyback, if you will. I mean, there's so much of the intolerance that's happening right now. So many people questioning constitutional uh, issues with regard to law and things of that nature. And a new documentary endowed by their creator is coming out, but also there's a a new film called Intolerant. Let's talk about the, the idea first and foremost that there is a war on religious liberty. And ironically, the people who are calling for tolerance and acceptance and welcoming and all that are the ones who are actually the least tolerant people in the culture right now.
3: That is so true. Uh, The intolerance special produced by D. James Kennedy Ministries, the whole team of the television department, is really focusing on the threats to religious liberty in our time. And uh, one of the segments that I was involved in directly was kind of contrasting what the founders of America had in mind about this subject versus what is happening today. But it, it just shows you some of the current, you know, some of these stories and so forth involving threats to religious freedom.
1: Mm.
0: You know, when you talk about what the threats are, I'm sure there are a lot of people who say, hey, I don't like seeing displays of this, or, you know, the the thing, the, the pride flags and parades and things that we're being bombarded with right now. But one of the things I think it's important for us to understand as Christians, especially, is to know what the Constitution says, to know what our legal rights are, and then to be able to have that conversation based on what actually is the law, as opposed to what is the, uh, I guess, the law of cultural you know, popular opinion right now, which sometimes says anything that the LGBTQ crowd wants to do is quote unquote protected, and anybody who challenges them is committing an act of violence or hate speech. Talk about how intolerance uh, helps us to kind of see where the battle lines are drawn so that we could be more effective and, you know, ultimately more loving in terms of telling people the truth about the, the errors of their ways. Sure. Well,
3: America was really founded by people seeking religious freedom. And eventually what they ended up doing was establishing such a, you know, place where we could have religious freedom. And then that freedom was extended to others. And basically you, you fast forward to today and the very ideas that gave birth to the freedom for so many, uh, now all of a sudden those who uh, you know, uh, founded the country, their ideas are into, intolerated. <laughs> They're not mm-hmm. being tolerated. And so it's just kind of a, an amazing irony. But the founding fathers, when they uh, created the Constitution and then the First Amendment to the Constitution, so with the Bill of Rights and so forth – in fact, let me just – real fast – when the Constitution was first written, there were many who said, OK, we agree with this document overall, but you got to add in print, you know, make it clear that there are certain rights that we have, you know, a bill of rights. Mm-hmm. And so the founders being men of, uh, of, of goodwill and men of their word, they ended up creating the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution. The first Congress did this and the first amendment of, you know, the first one of the 10 amendments, it begins with these words, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Mm -hmm. And historically, this first liberty, which is religious liberty, it was understood, the first part of that was understood, the no establishment clause, as it's known, was understood to mean that, okay, here in America, we're not going to have a a national federal church at the mm-hmm. you know federal national level like they have the Church of England we're not going to have right. that in America yeah. we'll have these different denominations so in effect what they were saying is we're not going to allow in America one denomination to lord it over all the other denominations and uh, so but when they even adopted those words at the state level there were literally uh, about half of the states had. State churches, (laughs) and Mm. those were never declared unconstitutional. They they mostly withered away of their own accord. The last one Uh to go, by the way, left 50 years later. I mean, it it finally, they just kind of pulled the plug on it in 1833. That was uh, Massachusetts with the Congregational Church, which was the church by law established in that state. Now, that wasn't ideal. It was not ideal. But basically, the founders didn't want to have a national denomination. That absolutely did not mean they did not want the acknowledgement of God to be allowed uh, in the public arena. I mean, mm-hmm. they were the ones who hired uh, at taxpayers' expense as, as part of the whole system chaplains for the military, chaplains for the legislatures. If they believed in this strict separation of church and state the way the ACLU and their ilk it to be, uh, they would never have done that. They would right. not have had national days of, of prayer and thanksgiving. And In fact, the very men who gave us the very wording of the First Amendment, they had actually—they wrote a letter to uh, George Washington, our first president under the Constitution, and they said, now that we have peaceably assembled and created our own government, you know, in felicity through God's help and so forth, why don't you declare a national day— of thanksgiving to almighty God to celebrate this, this important event. And George Washington agreed. And so on October 3, 1789, our first president wrote out this prayer, you know, prayer proclamation of Thanksgiving, national day of Thanksgiving to be held in late November. And this was the first time uh, as, you know, as a, uh, a new government under the constitution, where we actually had a national day of Thanksgiving. And there were many other days of thanksgiving uh you know until abraham lincoln made it an annual holiday just think about that roger Mm. an annual holiday of thanksgiving to almighty god great idea What about the separation of church and state? (laughs) yeah it doesn't Uh work because Uh that's that's not what they were thinking of they were just thinking in terms of we're going to have this religious liberty and but you're you're not going to be forced to believe something you don't believe in we're not going to as Thomas Jefferson put it, we're not going to force or beget habits of hypocrisy, mm. which, which is what happens when you have a national denomination uh, right. you know, or national church uh, at the federal level, and people are required and forced to, uh, to you know, profess to believe that way.
0: It's fascinating to hear these uh, words from Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the executive director of the Providence Forum, talking about a new documentary from uh, D. James Kennedy Ministries called Intolerant that targets the war on religious liberty. Jerry, as you were just reading from the words of the, uh, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, and how many times do people get that Congress shall make no law part and they stop halfway through, you know, in terms of there will be no national religion. But they forget the second part that says, but we're also not going to prohibit people from worshiping from you know maintaining the religion that they want to establish and so i think there there is part of the rub and one area where we as christians can lovingly but uh, assertively firmly uh, kind of uh, hold on to the constitution and say yeah don't forget it says we shouldn't be you know establishing a national religion but it also says the government doesn't get the right to hold us back as well what was the hope behind this? I mean, it's a very informational film. What was the hope behind making the movie Intolerant? Because some people will see the title and say, see, I'm just going to use this to prove that I'm right. But I know that at D. James Kennedy Ministries, the Providence Forum, you always have a much deeper, more holistic uh, intent uh, for the purpose of these these projects. More than just saying, let's get everybody all riled up and then you know, sit, sit there and stew for a while about it.
3: <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Roger. Yeah, no, it's. That's a good point. In fact, if I could back up even and just mention this point, D. James Kennedy, the founder of our ministry, joined forces back in the late uh, or in the mid 90s, 1990s, with Dr. Dobson, with the late Bill Bright, with the late Marlon Maddox, and a couple mm. of others, Larry Briquet, and they founded something called the Alliance Defending Freedom. Yep. And some of the guests in the program are are so, uh, affiliated with that. The Alliance Defending Freedom is on the cutting edge of, you know, fighting for our religious freedom. So instead of stewing, like you were saying, and just saying, oh, isn't this terrible? Uh, they've been, you know, on the forefront of, of fighting for religious liberty. In fact, Bill Federer is one of the guests in our special, and oh, he often nice. likes to say this. Yeah, I love Bill Federer. He's my good friend. Uh, He likes to say this point. He says, you know, the number one priority is to preach the gospel, and the number two priority is to make sure that it's still legal to preach the gospel. (laughs) So in other words, uh, so that's part of what this is all about. And the uniquely um, irony, the unique irony of of all this is the idea of America— losing its religious freedom. America was founded for religious mm-hmm. freedom. It was mm-hmm. founded by people who were seeking religious freedom. And, you know, you, you could look at the Annals of America, which is a product put out by the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you look at the early charters as you read through them, you know, the Mayflower Compact and the, the fundamental orders of Connecticut. And so what you see, Christian liberties was the main purpose as the founders, I mean, as the, the pilgrims said, for example, in the Mayflower Compact, having undertaken a, a, glo- a voyage for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, and they talked about how they covenanted and combined themselves to become a civil body politic. They, they created the first type of constitution, if, if you will, on American soil that you know finally uh, grew up and, you know, in, in full development, uh, gave us the, uh, the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. and the, the U.S. Constitution, the Fundamental Order of Connecticut, 1639, the first fully developed constitution on American soil. That's why to this day, if you see license plates from Connecticut, it says the Constitution stayed. Well, wait right. a minute. The Constitution was written in Philadelphia. Uh, not, you know, Pennsylvania, therefore not Connecticut. Yeah, but the fundamental orders that, that, you know, original constitution that they wrote in 1639, where they said the reason for this colony is the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So to think of a land where so many came uh, to basically practice their faith. I mean, uh, William Penn called his, big colony, Pennsylvania. He didn't call it Pennsylvania. He thought that was too vain. Uh, but the king, King Charles II, said, no, no, no. I'm going to, you know, this is an honor of your father. And I'm going to, you know, that's the name that's going to stick. But anyway, Penn called his, his uh, colony the holy experiment. The holy experiment was that people of all these different Christian faiths but different denominations or whatever we all allowed to be able to to live and practice and and practice their faith mm-hmm. it was a holy experiment so the idea that America created ultimately for religious liberty that we would lose our religious liberty here that is just a, a terrible thing and we must fight it uh, and, and fight like like you're saying graciously and wincibly but but forcibly you know yes. in terms of asserting this, This is our heritage, and uh, this is absolutely a hill worth dying for,
0: or dying on, so to speak. Yes, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the new film we're talking about is called Intolerant. It takes a look at the targeting war that has been aimed squarely at religious liberty here in the United States, and how we as Christians who are American citizens can stand our ground, but also help other people see that Religious liberty is what sets us apart from the rest of the world and makes America not just a special place and better than everyone else, but when everyone has religious liberty, everyone thrives and everyone prospers. We've got a link for this movie up at TheBottomLineShow.com. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, take a look at its country cousin, the new movie on the Constitution itself, uh, endowed by their creator is its name, and we'll take a look at that with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marshall, along with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, Executive Director of the Providence Forum and uh, involved in the Ministry of D. James Kennedy Ministries with the film projects that uh, they put out uh, just by the bunches. I mean, you guys were really busy, Jerry, and we're really grateful that you have the opportunity to talk about the Intolerant movie uh, that targets the war on religious liberty. And now this new uh, documentary as well and endowed by their creator which takes a look i mentioned the constitution but let's get first the, the, the that line endowed by their creator actually comes from the declaration of independence talk about why this was an important one to to make because a lot of people will say america is a christian nation i just know it but they really don't know how to articulate it
3: sure well the, the line itself endowed by their creator you know Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence, We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights you know, the right to life, the right to uh, liberty, and the right to the pursuit of happiness. So, you know, this is a very interesting thing. But the bottom line is what makes America so unique is that the founders recognized they acknowledged and put it in writing that our rights come from the creator. My good friend Bill Federer likes to point out that, you know, what the state giveth, the state can taketh away. And a lot of people think that, that our rights come from the state or come from the government. No, no, our rights come from God. And the founders acknowledged that. And so this particular special endowed by their creator is part of a, series of films I've been making for Providence Forum, the overall series is called The Foundation of American Liberty, and that foundation is our Judeo-Christian heritage. And this is one of seven hour-long documentaries, plus there's a lot of bonus footage that we're able to put on, at least in the the DVD copies of these things. And anyway, um, the Endowed by Their Creator deals with the the history of the Declaration itself uh, with uh, kind of a mini-biography of Thomas Jefferson, who's often misunderstood. Um, That's that's kind of a very nuanced picture, but I'll continue. Uh, A contrast between French Revolution and the American Revolution, and the short answer to that is the French Revolution was anti-God, and the American War for Independence was pro-God. And then it also deals with the, the absurdity of banishing the creator from the public arena in a nation that was built on the foundation of you know, acknowledging that our rights come from the creator. So it, it basically looks at this whole battle over religious liberty, but it deals a lot with the founding era and you know what, what, what actually happened to create this
0: uh, incredible document and get it accepted. It's interesting in my conversations with George Barna and the research he's doing with the uh, American Worldview Inventory at Arizona Christian University, he said one of the most shocking shifts in the culture over the past three, four years, you know, pretty much the pandemic years is the number of people who a believe that there is an absolute moral uh, standard that, that, that's gone up about six percent it had been on the decline for years and years and years and that would indicate to us hey that's good news because maybe people are finally starting to wake up to the fact that you know biblical values are the way to go but he said at the same time that's happening what is also happening is that the biblical worldview influence is on the decline, because when it comes to moral standards, most people think that they are good enough. You know, they they can actually go ahead and establish that. Talk about why understanding that key phrase from the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, is critical for us to be able to articulate to other people who might think, yeah, I'm a good person. And as long as everyone agrees with me, we can all have liberty. We can all have freedom, right? That's well, it's so yes, juvenile, no, that's- it's so <laughs> <laughs> infantile. But but that's where a lot of people Yeah, are that's a case. good yeah, you're you're absolutely right. In fact, I'm
3: sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. By the way, no. uh, Dennis Prager, one of our guests in the in the special, uh, as well as Bill Federer and Oz Guinness and so forth. Uh, but anyway, Mister Prager makes an interesting observation. He says God is the ultimate battle in in our time, and he said it is because look, the founders created the nation. Uh, you know, based on the understanding about God and that God would hold us accountable one day. And he said, uh, the reason that God is so important is if if you have somebody that, that, you know, basically they choose for themselves whatever their morals will be, they don't acknowledge that God will hold them accountable, well, then they can do whatever they want to and just justify it in their own mind and, and then in their own heart. So we said that, you know, it's important that we recognize that the founders recognized or built this system with that understanding about God holding us accountable. And so, you know, in fact, Roger, if I could just real fast. Yeah. If you look at the, the 20th century and you look at all the different uh, places where they did experiments in you know, in rejecting God, so for example, the Soviet Union or uh, Nazi Germany, where effectively Hitler was God, you know, Heil Hitler, praise Hitler. They were saying uh, anyway, all those different places. It was a horrible, horrible thing for everybody except for the you know the tiny elite, you know that that, that ran everything, mm-hmm. uh, because they they, as D. James Kennedy put it, in a humanist state you can't, if if you have a problem with the with the government you can't appeal to any other higher authority you're, right. you're nice. you know you're in trouble <laughs> so, hmm. you know in fact i've often wondered why would god allow some of the evil things that did happen especially in the 20th century and i think part of the answer that i've come to is so that you know god would allow us not to go down that route again i mean it's just mm-hmm. it's amazing what they've done and uh, it, it's, it's all because, to use a phrase from Paul Johnson, the great historian, uh, these are godless constructs. Um, you know, the, the, Paul Johnson, of modern, who wrote Modern Times, he also wrote A History of the American People. I've, I've enjoyed and appreciated and used a lot of his research through the years in these things. But he said that the 20th century totalitarian state proved to be the greatest killer of all time. And they did that again, based on a godless foundation. Whereas the America's founders said, "Our rights come from God. We are endowed by, a,
0: you know, our creator, creator with these rights." That's the key. It's God's natural law, and recognizing that was a shocking uh, concept to many people worldwide. But as we've seen the advancements that have come from the United States, whether it's system of government, uh, the, uh, the liberation of uh, slaves, the uh, emancipation, if you will, of them, and, and also seeing women and people of all backgrounds thriving. You know, it's still a lot of work to do, but uh, I think most people would agree, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, that uh, the the religious liberty, uh, acknowledging what is endowed by our creator rather than given by government, is such a radical concept even today that uh, even on our worst days, America is still the best option in terms of government and countries compared to what we're seeing in the culture right now. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, two new movies to share with you. One of them is the historical documentary called Endowed by Their Creator and also the movie Intolerant, which takes a look at the uh, the war on religious liberty. Jerry, we've got about 60 seconds left in our conversation time together. What is your hope for these? These You mentioned there's a whole series here and these are kind of companion uh, pieces in that whole series. Talk about uh, the ministry of D. James Kennedy and Providence Forum and what you're hoping to accomplish with these projects.
3: Okay, well, mainly to educate Christians, to improve that worldview aspect, <laughs> to give them more of a biblical worldview and, you know, uh, understanding more of the history of the things. I think a lot of people just don't understand history these days yeah. very much. So, uh, let me, if I could, steer people to the djameskennedy.org website, okay, uh, and then also the providenceforum.org website, uh, where people could learn more information about these things. Intolerant is a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries. The Endowed by their creator is a production, ultimately, of D. James Kennedy Ministries, but there's a division within it called Providence Forum. But the way to 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 learn about those films in the American Foundation series is uh, ProvidenceForum.org. Okay. So, again, we're hoping that people could realize what the founders gave us and uh, and how God is central to the whole point. In fact, Patrick Henry put it this way. It is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Mm. And Roger, when you think about it, aren't you kind of hearing some of those
0: chains clanking oh, yeah. these days? But oh, that's oh, yeah. because
3: people have forgotten God.
0: Mhm. Yeah certainly have. And um, woe to those who not only forget him, but then try to dismiss him, knowing that he is ultimately judge and jury. And And praise be to God that we have the opportunity to live as his children, as free citizens of heaven, but also residents and citizens here of the United States of America. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, Executive Director of the Providence Forum, two outstanding new releases that we've got linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jerry, always a pleasure to get time with you. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. a great conversation for our movie monday today here on the bottom line with jerry newcomb the executive director of the providence forum and a member of the d james kennedy ministries outstanding video team video protection these two dvds are part of the larger american liberty series one of them endowed by our creator perfectly uh, timed for release right here before the 4th of july and also intolerant about what's happening in the world right now and how we as Christians can stand our ground biblically. We have one copy of each of these DVDs to give away here on this Movie Monday. So the phone lines are open, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have two DVDs to give away here on this movie Monday. The first is called Intolerant uh, from Providence Forum and D. James Kennedy Ministries, and the second is called Endowed by Our Creator, or Endowed by Their Creator, which is about what American liberty is all about. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. my thanks again to Jerry Newcomb, the executive director of the Providence Forum, for his uh, generosity with time today here on The Bottom Line to talk about not one, but two new resources that Providence Forum and D. James Kennedy Ministries have put together. The first is a DVD simply called Intolerant. You can guess what that's about. The second is the one that's based on the Declaration of Independence called Endowed by Our Creator or Endowed by Their Creator. Uh, we have uh, one copy of each of these to give away and it's Movie Monday, so we're giving them away. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Later this week, uh, Thursday, to be specific, as we get ready for the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, which we haven't decided on our theme yet, but I'm pretty sure with it being the week before Independence Day, we'll be talking about Independence Day. Um, Coming up this Thursday, programming note, Mark Burrell is going to join me to talk about a book of his that talks about how we can reset the trajectory of American liberty using not the Constitution, but another sacred document, if you will, That really does explain why America is, in fact, a Christian nation. So I encourage you to stay tuned for that. Biblical principles guide our way. It's the foundation of who we are. That we haven't always gotten it right isn't God's fault. And it's not Scripture's fault either. It's ours for not interpreting it properly and veering away into the political instead of staying in the sacred. Trusting God for the light to guide our way, each step along the path, that is the best way to go. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, we're going to take a look at doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity as to what is happening with religious liberty in the culture right now and the ways that the left is seeking to actively destroy our liberty. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Glad that you've tuned in. And uh, thanking again Dr. Jerry Newcomb from uh, the Providence Forum for joining me for the previous half hour to talk about those two outstanding new movies that have been produced. They're actually uh, individual segments of the larger American Liberty series that the Providence Forum produces along with D. James Kennedy Ministries. And the two uh, that we have that we're giving away, uh, the first one is uh, Endowed by Their Creator and the second one is called Intolerant. And one each, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting. Our friends at Lions Defending Freedom have been doing such great work at uh, helping us stand up for religious liberty. Uh, before I get into this next story, sort of a little analysis, balance, and clarity for us here as we are just a week away from the celebration of American independence. I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that the guiding verse for my, I mean, I don't have a life verse right now, or even I don't get in the habit of picking theme verses. But boy, I'll tell you, the the, the passage of scripture that continues to ruminate with me more and more each day is in Matthew chapter 13, I believe it's verses 23 through 43. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. There's also the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And the short version is, that uh, Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who planted some wheat and then he went to bed. And then in the night when no one was looking, his neighbor, an enemy, someone who wanted to do him ill, uh, snuck into the garden where they had planted the wheat and sowed the seeds for weeds to grow up around it. What's interesting about this is if you look at the text and what would have been the wheat and the weeds situation in Jesus' day, the weeds, as it were, were called the bearded Darnell. Uh, bearded Darnell is a kind of a, an interesting looking uh, specimen, if you will, because when it comes up out of the ground, first the blade and then the air, you know, <laughs> showing up, it does mimic wheat. It looks an awful lot like wheat. As a matter of fact, you would have to get pretty far along into the crop growing season before you would realize, oh my gosh, I've got weeds and wheat, and what do I do? Um, there are some weeds that get in that aren't necessarily toxic and bad. They're just irritating. And those are the ones that you know we try to get out of the way so we get the re- regular real crop in. In the case of the bearded Darnell, it is a nice-looking uh, weed. As, oftentimes, you'll drive past a you know a big spot of land, and there's seemingly like these kind of buttercup yellow flowers. And you go, oh, wow, that's really pretty. And then you get closer and go, oh, that's a weed. Nobody wants that there. There's nothing beneficial about having that here in that spot. The Darnell is such a way, it's called a bearded Darnell because when it grows up out of the ground, if you see a picture of it, I mean, just imagine if you've ever had a bearded dragon, uh, reptile, whatever, it's a thing where the head has a color and it looks like it's got a beard. The, The issue about it though is when you harvest it, you begin to realize it's toxic. It smells awful. The fumes are really will make anyone nauseous, and it's only during the harvesting time that you begin to realize, I've got wheat and I've got weeds. And so a skilled farmer can identify, hey, wait a minute, these are going to be weeds in the middle of my wheat. I want to go grab them and get them out. But in the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, Jesus says that the workers came to the farmer and said, should we get the weeds out now? And Jesus is very clear. I, I love the parables, I love the analogies that he gives. Jesus is very clear when he said, no, we're gonna let everything grow up next to each other. And once it's time to harvest, we will harvest the entire crop. And once the crop is harvested, then we will s- separate the wheat from the weeds. And the wheat, we will bind up and take into the barn and thrash it about and turn it into fl- grain and whatever else we're gonna make you know, with wheat. And the other stuff, the weeds are gonna get burned. Because they're really good for nothing and we got to hope that the people who work on burning the weeds don't get sick because the fumes are just so awful now I- i'll tell you why this is so important and i think it for us as christians we have to understand the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel go and preach the gospel to every nation baptizing those who believe it in the name of the father son and holy spirit that's the great commission And because there is so much sin in the world and sinful influence in the world, unfortunately that message has been co-opted by the American church and the Western church. There's a big difference between standing up against what is evil and making the aim of your ministry or your mission to shut all that down. And I say all that because I'm so grateful for Alliance Defending Freedom. The folks at ADF understand the balance between standing for what is right with regard to religious liberty, the fact that they fight for religious liberty and will do so for anyone of any mainline religion. I mean, they're, it's a Christian organization, but they've taken on cases. It's kind of like the Beckett Fund for religious liberty. The Beckett Fund, I don't know, is a faith-based organization per se, but if you're fighting for religious liberty for one group, you should be fighting for it for all. And that's why I love our partnership with ADF. So how do you keep that balance between saying we're going to stand up against a culture that is attacking families, is attacking parents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the transgender issue, marriage is under attack. I mean, there are a lot of things. Those are legitimate concerns. But how do you then justify the actions that you take if the only thing people get out of what you are doing and saying in your defense is the fact that you want to protect the law? I mean, at some point, we have to ask the question. Yes, the laws are being broken. Yes, children are are, are potentially being abused by these groomers that are out doing their thing. And they, you know, the the, the transgender movement has just kind of taken... Anybody who was, you know, eight years ago, anybody who was worried about, quote, unquote, same-sex marriage being being disruptive in this culture had no idea what was coming after them next. And isn't it interesting that a couple of years before the Obergefell decision, or Obergefell, Isn't it interesting that a couple of years before that decision went down, the White House, then occupied by a Democrat, began to unleash a series of these transgender bills that weren't necessarily laws. They were, quote unquote, guidelines. And no, they were not written by Jack Sparrow. The guidelines were the instructions as to how to carry out really basic pedantic tasks. Like, here's your school lunch money for your district, you know, from the federal government. Don't forget... That part of the guidelines are is that every student who identifies as transgender needs to have a safe place to use the restroom and use the shower and eat their lunch. And so if you're not accommodating those students, your funding may be in jeopardy. Whoa, talk about the bully coming after your lunch money. I mean, man, but those, if you look at those, those challenges, I mean, that's where a lot of school districts were, were wrestling with this. Because in all honesty, even a place like the People's Republic of California 58 counties, I don't know how many different school districts there are in the state, 6.2 million public school students at the time of those guidances. Now it's down to 5.8 and adding now to 5.7. But it was interesting to see that even in a place like the People's Republic of California, when it came to the issues with transgender students, even California didn't know how many transgender students there were. There was one school district in the entire state, San Francisco Unified, as you might imagine, that actually was tracking how many students were gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, how many kids had issues with schools. I mean, it was so rare that if there was a child who either had experienced maybe genital mutilation or they had a religious uh, reason for not undressing in front of even members of the same sex, then they had, we would get an exemption. But it was so rare that they literally, I mean, it was, it was on an as-needed basis. A school principal would be notified by a teacher or a parent. Hey, we've got this child, da 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 and um, you know, this is what we're looking for. And invari- invariably, the accommodation was, well, there's always the teacher's bathroom. Go to the teacher's lounge, use the restroom, do your stuff. As far as PE went, sometimes they could get a, uh, a note excusing them from dressing out for physical education. Um, you know, it is what it is. Kids weren't that consumed with it. But the administrators were, and the left was, oh boy, were they concerned about it and so those guidelines started to show up and then all of a sudden what was it uh, uh, proposition one or whatever the the bill in North Carolina was that was going to establish once and for all North Carolina law with regard to who could use the bathroom and in a public space and then all the artists were no we're not going to play in North Carolina they're hateful toward the LGBTQ community and then places like California there are something like 22 states now that employees who work for the state of California are forbidden to travel to on company business because of their quote-unquote hateful policies against uh, the LGBTQ community. Remember back in the spring? Our old San Diego State Aztec men's basketball team made the fi- not only the Final Four, they made the championship game in Texas. Remember what happened? Well, they got there and they got to play, but San Diego State is San Diego, California State University. It's part of the state university system here in California. The state refused to pay for travel and accommodations for the men's basketball team from San Diego State to go play in the NCAA Final Four. So the NCAA picked it up. Because don't you love the way the government officials worked in that case? They were not going to spend a dime. We'll show them. We'll keep our money out of Texas. But, oh, yeah, we got a men's basketball team, first time in school history, playing for the national championship. That's going to be big business for us. So I don't know who called whom, but you get the idea. So there are quite a few inconsistencies when it comes to this, and it's usually just a case of following the money. So as we continue, i going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment about the college Republicans at the University of Pittsburgh and an event they wanted to host that featured an actual debate a debate on whether or not the topic was should transgenderism be regulated by law. Michael Knowles, good conservative thinker, was going to argue uh, for the conservative side and Brad Palumbo was going to argue for the liberal or progressive side. Well, um, University of Pittsburgh ran into a bit of a problem. And the problem was somebody heard about Michael Knowles and they knew that Michael Knowles was a pretty good, pretty good debater. And so all of a sudden... They decided that they, uh, well, they needed to try to find a way out. Well, they found one okay, but unfortunately, this is a bit of foreshadowing as to what we in the body of Christ and conservatives on the whole can expect in the days and weeks and months ahead. We'll walk you through it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. 800 696 9970 or visit KBrightRadio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Let's get into this now because our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom are taking up a case that um, it just makes you shake your head, but you have to wonder. It's kind of like when you go to a carnival. And you see, like, for example, they have the basketball backboard and the rim and the net. And they got basketballs there. And, hey, three shots for a dollar or whatever it is. And if you make three baskets, you win a prize for your girlfriend. Or Hey, that's great. No one tells you, because you can't see it from where you are, that the ball is literally the exact same size as the rim. I mean, according to physics, there's no possible way you're going to get the ball in the hole. Even if you hit against the backboard, it's going to bounce over because science works. But nonetheless, that's kind of what's happening on college campuses for Christians in particular and conservatives on the whole. Here's the case. April the 18th, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute and the college Republicans at the University of Pittsburgh were going to host a debate featuring Michael Knowles debating Brad Palumbo on the topic of should transgenderism be regulated to by the law. Now, basically, they had a very, you know, a a, a fair allotment of time for each person and then there was a QA and uh, a afterwards. They we were going to give a half hour for uh, people in the audience to ask questions of either of the speakers. And then there was a meet and greet with Michael Knowles because he is kind of a millennial Gen Z superstar as far as conservatives go. Now, Michael Knowles is part of the group, Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk and others, uh, Ali, uh, Ali Stuckey, um, the, the list goes on, of people who are conservative, they're millennialists, and they usually face some kind of unholy fire from leftists whenever they come on college campuses. And the reason is, quite frankly, because the left doesn't know how to debate. They don't know how to argue fairly. They don't know how to sharpen iron. All they know is that someone tells them they're right, and they have quote-unquote protections, and if you make them feel uncomfortable, that's violence and hate speech. Okay, so here's the deal. The event had been planned months in advance, the date for the event was supposed to be April the 18th, all of a sudden there was this concern on campus that this was going to, uh, um, it was potentially going to be dangerous. As a matter of fact, the university issued a press release on March the 10th that called the event on April 18th, quote, toxic and hurtful for many people in our university community. On March the 16th, the provost, Ann Cudd, referred to a recent speech given by Michael Knowles as quote-unquote repugnant and hate-filled rhetoric. And this was a message she sent to the entire University of Pittsburgh community. Then on April 14th, A professor in the Theater Arts Department, along with many other departments, students, faculty, and staff, strongly condemned the event, and they've called on the university to cancel Michael Null's appearance due to his history of spreading hate speech and inciting violence against trans people. Professor Mahoney continued, saying, unfortunately, it looks as though the event is still going to be scheduled to take place and invited students to participate in, quote, several events planned for the day of the event in response to Michael Knowles' unwelcome presence on campus. Now, (laughs) somebody heard a speech. They didn't like what he said, and so they were determined to keep him off campus. Now, this is the cancel culture at work. If you knew that there were an Aryan racist white supremacist or whatever who were coming to your college campus, you would probably write a letter to the you know campus administration. You, you might want to protest if you wanted to, or you might just stay home. I mean, there are lots of ways you could deal with this. Well, apparently there were all sorts of uh, signs posted all throughout the campus. They basically were asking people to come to Cathedral Lawn at 6.45 p.m. And they were supposed to... <laughs> The events they were hosting were called Shut Down Michael Knowles. Well, as you can imagine, protesters showed up all over the place. They shoved attendees, they lobbed smoke bombs, and they had several Michael Knowleses that they burned in effigy. Now, no one heard him speak at the event yet. We saw what happened when Riley Gaines, the former University of Kentucky swimmer, uh, who's very much a woman and very much concerned that girls aren't getting to compete against other girls anymore. When she went to San Francisco State University to give a talk, they, she actually had a debate with a, uh, someone on the other side of the aisle, and apparently it was a pretty fair and even-handed debate. It was after the debate, when she was trying to get to her car, go to the airport, and fly home, that a group of protesters literally forced her into an abandoned classroom barricaded in front of the door she got punched in the face by a man and she was basically held hostage for over three hours at san francisco state university when they finally let her go she had missed her plane she had to get a hotel she incurred extra costs and the university actually justified doing what they did now see this is the thing about leftism that they love to think of themselves as being tolerant and welcoming and inclusive and allies and all that other stuff. But if you dare disagree with them, they will mess you up. Physical violence, financial ruin, it does not matter. Look at this case here. Smoke bombs, burning an effigy. I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. The University of Pittsburgh did nothing to stop any of this. As a matter of fact, after the burning and effigy part, the campus police did not prevent the protesters from blocking the street and coming within striking distance of attendees. So you want to try to walk in and someone might hit you in the head with their, their new thing. is, You get a coffee cup like Starbucks or something like that, put a little coffee in it, and then you put some quick-drying cement in the cup so it looks like you're sipping on your coffee. You throw it, and next thing you know, you're basically hitting somebody in the head with a brick. Eventually... Campus police had to shut down the event because of what they called a quote-unquote deteriorating situation. But that's not the worst of it. Um, The worst of it is the university now says that they had to have extra security at a charge of around $2,000 per day to make sure that there was safety for everybody who were on campus. So basically, the security fee, by the time everything was all totaled up, originally, there's like a $2,000 deposit. You put it down there. That pays for the overtime for the cops. And then once you're done, whatever's left over, you get it back. In this case, they put down the $2,000 and then there was an additional security fee, a charge of $16,925 that was given a bill handed to the Intercollegiate uh, Studies Institute ostensibly was based on the fact that they were going to have way more police there because of the potential for damage and violence and the fact that they were going to have some costs to repair what was going to be. How did they know how much money they were going to need? I mean, I'm, I'm very curious. Why is it that when you get right down... Um, to this whole situation, it's like everything was planned. This is one of those, you know, the the old uh, yarn about the mob coming in and uh, breaking all your windows, then saying, hey, it's a problem, your windows are all broken. If you pay us to protect you, your windows will never get broken again, and we'll have one of our guys come out there and fix your windows. But if you ever cross us and don't pay us on time, your windows are going to get broken again. That's, in essence, what they did. I mean, they... ADF sent a letter to uh, Jovette E. Washington, who's the university's senior vice chancellor and chief legal officer, and said, you did everything you could to keep people from coming to this event. When you send out a note to all the student body that says, unfortunately, it looks like though this event is scheduled to take place, you could still take part in events planned for, for what? For voicing your outrage? I mean, in a perfect world, what happens? Michael Knowles comes, Brad Palumbo comes, they sit down, they shake hands, one presents one side, one presents the other side. There's a 30-minute Q&A and everybody comes away a little bit better because we all learned something about the other side. But the idea is since the university knew they could not cancel the event, what they did basically is to make it as cost prohibitive as possible. And then eventually the event never went off. Take a final look at this on the other side of this break and why it's important for us to pay attention to stories like this and still maintain our Christian witness. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. 2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this uh, special edition of the Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh. I wish this didn't have to be reported as often as it does, but it did. Uh, April 18th, the University of Pittsburgh hit a conservative student group, Intercollegiate Studies Institute, and the college Republicans at the University of Pittsburgh with a major security fee for an event that they hosted, uh, were scheduled to host anyway on April 18th. Michael Knowles coming to debate Brad Palumbo on the topic of should transgenderism be regulated by law. For all intents and purposes, it sounded like I've heard both of these guys go at it before. They're good. They're smart. They're fair. They're respectful. But all of a sudden, a couple of uh, you know, people who thought they knew better, provosts and academic advisors, etc caught wind of the kind of speeches that Michael Knowles gives. And remember, Michael Knowles t- speaks biblical truth on the issue of transgenderism. So that is constituted as hate speech and violence by the left. That's not true, but that's how they consider it to be. Uh, eventually, this was what you know, wound up happening. All sorts of protests and borderline riots were scheduled and encouraged by university leadership for students to participate in. And at the end of the day, the ISI and the college Republicans were stuck with an almost $19,000 security bill because the university encouraged their students to burn this thing down. Read you a quote and see if it sounds familiar. Uh, George Orwell, writing in 1984 basically was talking about what we're experiencing right now. And he wrote this in 1948, by the way. There will be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed. But always, do not forget this, Winston, writing to Winston Smith. Always there will be the intoxication of power, constantly increasing and constantly growing subtler. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, Imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Well, this is where we're headed in the culture. It sounds pretty menacing, doesn't it? But here's the good news. Well, and the good news, of course, is this this is the result of sin in the world. And our sinful fallen world has a redeemer and has a method of uh, redemption. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. What we are, we are called to do is to stand firm, Ephesians 6, Put on the full armor of God. When the enemy attacks, the armor will protect you. You can lock uh, the shield of faith with other believers and march forward. But if the commander doesn't say attack, then we don't attack, we withstand. We can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. But the one place that we do go forward, and we have to keep going forward, is in Matthew 28, verse 16, and following in Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world, go into every nation and preach the gospel that the world is fallen and cannot get up without a savior. The only means of salvation is by going through Jesus Christ, by believing that his blood washes you clean and pays the penalty for your sin. If he is your savior and you serve him as Lord, you will be saved. And that will be made manifest in, in the works that you do. So as Christians, we see something like this happening at the University of Pittsburgh. It's disgusting we shouldn't be surprised, and we should be anticipating more of it. But thanks be to God that our call is not to demilitarize the police. It's not to make sure that transgender debates happen on college campuses. It's to preach the gospel, especially to some of those angry people who want to put their boots smack dab in the middle of your face. That's the bottom line.